chapter 4 of Matthew and verse 1. Then Jesus was, or then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. Now Jesus has quoted, and so the devil's going to jump on the bandwagon and see if he can utilize the book. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Liar. That, no, that wasn't in there. I just put that okay. Do you think he would have really done that? Liar. Jesus knew that. He wouldn't have done it anyway, but he knew that. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Thank God for this. Then the devil leaveth him. Boy, is that a good day. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Happy days for a while. <laughs> then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Well, you can serve the devil, or you can have angels serve you. I don't know which one you want, <laughs> but I'll take the latter. How about that? Amen. Would you say amen to the reading of God's Word? You may be seated here this evening. I know this is familiar territory, but most of the Bible should be to us. I don't know that any of the Bible should really be new news for us if we've been in Christianity for some time particularly. But tonight I want to talk to you about the temptation of Christ and this threefold temptation. And I want to deal with these first four verses here tonight, and then we'll, we'll pick it up next Wednesday night and, and follow through and, and share some other things about the other two temptations but I'd like for us to look back at this first verse, and this follows on the heels of the baptism of Jesus Christ that we preached back in chapter 3 of the Gospel of Matthew, that Christ has, has left home in Nazareth, walked the dusty trail, came to Jerusalem, or to Jordan rather, and uh, where John has been baptizing, and he's been turning the world upside down. John has come on the scene. He's been preaching for a little while, and he's shaking things up. Thank God for some preachers who aren't afraid to shake things up. 
They're not afraid to question the status quo. They're not afraid of governors. They're not afraid of the religious uh, uh, leaders, if you will. And they're just out there and they preach truth. Uh, John came out of the wilderness, the very place that John came from. Jesus is fixing the head too. John has come through his test. John has come through his challenge. He has grown up in the wilderness and the desert places and, and he has come out a conqueror so that when his ministry begins, it immediately has an impact. It'd be better for us to have a long preparation and a short time of ministry that was successful than a short preparation and a long time of ministry that wasn't successful. And, but, and that's the way John is. His ministry is very short upon the earth. They're not going to have a lot of months to uh, a time, maybe a year, year and a half or so to preach. That's all. His entire life is lived for the work of about a year and a half, and he's going to pass off the scene. Going to lose his head, and uh, he is going to go on to uh, be in the, in the uh, place where God is ordained with the saints of the Lord. And so Jesus went down to Jordan. As you know the story, he was baptized of him. And, and there's a wonderful thing that takes place. The Bible says that um, uh, the Lord speaks from heaven and says that uh, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit of God comes down like a dove upon Christ. This becomes a sign to John the Baptist to, to let him know that this is the one. This is the one you were looking for. This is, this is the one you came to introduce to the world right here. Because upon whomever you see the Spirit descending and remaining, that's the one that baptizes with the Holy Ghost. So you, you announce Him. You point Him out to the crowd. You begin to decrease. Well, he may begin to increase. And so the Bible says that Jesus Christ at this time teaches us He was... The Spirit comes upon him. It will be at this moment he will be filled with the Spirit. I have no doubt that God has been with him throughout 30 years of his life. But it is this is the first time that he will be filled with the Holy Ghost. He is now going to be sealed by the Father by, with this time. And he will have the stamp of approval placed upon him. And he's going to be filled with the Spirit of God. And the Bible says that immediately, uh, immediately upon this, John or Mark when he records it, he says it's immediately and the Spirit of God is going to take Jesus Christ out to the wilderness. Matthew uses the word and said, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness. Mark will say, then the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. So I just want to say a little bit about that here if I can tonight. How many of us Holy Ghost filled people feel that we are driven by the Spirit? It's not been that long ago I was thinking about this verse of Scripture and it just, it just for a while it just stuck with me. I don't know how God works with you, but there are times that certain Scriptures will come to my mind and, and they're just, God seems to kind of impress them upon me. And I remember here a while back just praying several times in my prayer. I just pray, Lord, I want to be driven by the Spirit. I want to be driven. I don't know about about you, but sometimes uh, I, I get in that place that that uh, I, I don't need God to just you know kind of gently uh, push me or or sometimes even gently pull me. I feel like I need Him to just punch me. I, you you may not be that way. I want to I, I want to feel the Spirit of God just just get a hold of me with such a grip that that I mean I feel and that I'm under not just the mere influence, but in the in the very grip of the Holy Ghost. 
instance where the Bible said he comes to fall upon us, seize us, get a hold of us. And a life that would be driven by the Spirit of God. We're driven in this world by the, by the seas of despair. We're driven about by the winds of doctrine. Men and women are driven about by fashion. They're driven about by, by social media. Oh, to have a people that were driven by the Spirit of God. That you felt an unction. That you felt a push. That you felt that there was such an urgency about life. That, that, hey, I can't stand here. I can't stay here. I can't be idle. I can't be a, a, a just happen chance. I've got to go, and i got to go now. I can't wait around here to see what happens. Have you ever felt God push you instead of lead you? I'll be honest with you. I know in my life, sometimes if he hadn't pushed me, I'd been in trouble. Because I wasn't following his lead too good. And so God sometimes, he'll just get in behind you and push you a little bit. He's merciful. He's merciful. Now, there's something about this I want to say. I think that's something why it's so important that when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, I, it, 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 I'm not saying you can't backslide. I know you can. I know you can. But, buddy, let me tell you something. When you get that blessed Holy Ghost and he fills that vessel up, it is much harder and, and difficult for a man or a woman to go back because there is one not just living in you but fills your vessel up. And I'm telling you, you cannot go out and get too close to the world and him not tell you about it. You can't get out there too far that he doesn't jump on you and that he doesn't get a hold of you because when he comes to fill your life, this is never happened in the life of Jesus. He's led pretty much what has looked like an average life. He's a great carpenter, but he's not known for much more even beyond that. Maybe he's a good reader in the synagogue, but he's done no miracles. He's made no impact on the culture. Nobody really knows much about him, but I'm telling you, the minute he gets filled with the Holy Ghost, and now we've got a man who is being pushed by the Spirit. He is being led. He's also being driven. That's the way the Holy Ghost will do. He can pull and he can push. He can lead and he can drive. He gets before you. He gets behind you. He gets all around you and he puts you where you need to be. I'm telling you there's some places because you know what? Normally we wouldn't want to go to the wilderness. This is his inauguration day. It's just been stated that he's the son of God. God has spoken from heaven. This is my beloved son. It's time to preach. Oh no it's not. You're going to the wilderness. You're going to a desert. You're going to a solitary place. You're going to go into 40 days of absolute solitude. No people, no human voice. It's going to be you and God against the enemy. And I'm telling you, we don't like that. We don't want to go to the wilderness. There are places in life that we do not want to go. There are experiences we do not want to feel. But if you don't have the Holy Ghost driving you, you'll never go, my friend. We need the power of God in this hour because I believe there's some challenges ahead of us. If God doesn't drive us, we're not going to go there. And we need the Holy Ghost to get a hold of us again and drive us forward. Who wants to go meet the devil in the wilderness? Man, it's bad enough to meet him in Walmart, let alone the wilderness. Who wants to go out there and meet him in that forsaken, we would might say a God-forsaken country. I mean, that's, it's a wilderness, okay? 
There's foxes and jackals and lions and, and things that go bump in the night and creep and they growl and they, and they howl and all kind of noises that mess, but there are no humans. There are no convenience stores. There's no soda fountains. There's no soda machines. There's no human voice to soothe the ear. Just the howl of the wind. The blackness of the night. The doleful creatures that howl in the darkness. The animal, the little animal that you hear go out in a shriek because the owl got it. And here you are. There's no bed. There's no tent. He has no five-star hotel. He's got the ground for his bed. And probably his cloak for his blanket. And that's it. That's it. Now, how many of us would let God put us in such a place? We don't even like sometimes if... The car isn't as nice that we have. But still, a car gets us there, okay? Or the house isn't nice, or the clothes isn't, aren't as nice, or, or maybe the job isn't as good, or the money's not as great, or, 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 or the, the climate's not as nice, or whatever. And, uh, you know, still we got it pretty good, and we're doing pretty well. But uh, Jesus went where there was nothing, my friend. You need to understand that the Bible said he was with the beast. That's all he had for his companions. He is in the wilderness, uh, and he is there because the Holy Ghost has driven him there for a particular purpose. Uh, and I want you to understand something that our troubles and our trials are going to come but if we let the Holy Ghost guide us God will do a work in our life now I want to say something about this because I, I, I think sometimes we've not maybe got this quite right particularly because the way Luke will write it he said to be tempted 40 days of the devil without to be tempted in Luke's gospel when he records this could actually be taken with the first verse we Remember, when these, the gospel was written, it wasn't written with verse numbers. And so, got to be careful where you insert those verse numbers. But the idea here is that he wasn't tempted the entire 40 days. The idea is that the temptation comes at the end of the 40 days. And he's fasted. And it appears when the Bible says he's fasted 40 days that, it doesn't, that he doesn't hunger. He's not consumed with a craving until the end of the 40 days. That, I believe, would be probably consistent with the fasting of Moses and the fasting of, of Elijah because those are the other two men in Scripture who are noted as having went on a 40-day fast. And those men were sustained. Moses will have two of them, as a matter of fact. But he will be sustained in the presence of God. Elijah will be given a meal that he is able to go on the strength of that one meal for 40 days. So this was actually probably not 40 days of agony. It was not 40 days of, of your body uh, and your stomach thinking your throat's cut and you're, and you're just, you know, uh, 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 nothing but your thoughts are on food. It doesn't appear like that. Matter of fact, I think to be consistent with the sins of Moses and Elijah, that Moses will go to the mountain and for 40 days uh, he will be caught up 
up in the presence of the Lord. It will be at the end of that 40 days that Moses will have his trial. At the end of 40 days, the children of Israel will commit idolatry and Moses will come off of the mountain. Oh, yes, he'll intercede, but when he comes off of the mountain becomes his test. It's easy to show mercy when you haven't seen the sin. It's easy to show mercy when it's disconnected from you. Yes, sir, it's easier for me, for me to have mercy on your children than my children. It's easier for me to have mercy on your relative than, than for me to have mercy on my relative, if I can say it that way. A stranger, something that's distant, an event that I haven't had any connection to. You're connected to it, and you know what? It was difficult for you. You were the one hurt. If I'm not the one that's got hurt, it's easier for me to say, hey, brother, don't be too hard. Hey, brother, be a little more merciful there. Have some compassion. But, buddy, when it comes down my avenue, it's another thing altogether. Before Moses saw what happened in the valley, he could say, God, please don't do this. Lord, remember your covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Don't destroy this people. Lord, don't wipe them out. And God said, all right. But when Moses got down there, it isn't too long. He's got a sword, and he's got men around him, and he says, go through and slay your brother, and 3,000 people are going to die. He throws the commandments down, and I'm telling you, he got angry. He got upset, and if he probably could, he'd have wiped them out. Because once you get connected to the problem, it's a different ball game. Elijah's test for 40 days he will take to get to Sinai and then it's him in the cave and God coming by and Elijah is standing there. He's in despair and the voice, uh, God comes by but he's not in the fire, he's not in the wind, he's not in the earthquake uh, and then he speaks with a still small voice uh, and he gets Elijah out of the cave. He's depressed, his trial has come. He has, he has got to the place. He's went 40 days. He's had a beautiful walk with God. He's had a meal. Man, I tell you what, I'd like to have one meal I could ride on for 40 days. How about that? Ah, I'd go out of business if you was in the restaurant business and having that you wouldn't be having a very good business would you but I'll tell you right now he's had a walk with God for 40 days but then he gets to the mountain and it all seems to fall apart I'm just in despair I've had to run it didn't turn out like I wanted it to turn out oh Jesse's still on the throne she's still doing what she wants to do and now she's after my hide what am I going to do I'm the only one left nobody showed up to help me and God said I got 7,000 and heaven bow the knee to bow. Come on, get out of the cave. Go down and anoint your successor Elijah. Go anoint Haziel over Syria. Go anoint the next king to be king over Israel because you got work to do bud. The trial came after a time in which they spent time with God. Before Jesus will face the devil, he will have 40 days to soak in the presence of the Holy Ghost and the glory of God Almighty. God didn't take him there just to face the devil. He took him there to saturate and talk and to give him what he needed to have. I'm telling you, God's not going to lead us to battle until he's prepped us by the power of the Holy Ghost. Glory to the Lamb of God. Woo! Yes, I know a fierce battle's coming. I feel that stronger than ever. But I'm going to promise you I believe this tonight. And before that fierce battle comes, there'll be revival. There'll be a glorious touch. There'll be a singing in the presence of the Lord. There'll be a saturation of the presence of God and the Holy Ghost. We will not have to face an enemy unprepared. We will not have to face a challenge without the power of God. Our God 
will give us what we need. Forty days to reflect. He didn't have to cook a meal. He gets to hear and listen and focus. He's not distracted by city lights or city noises. Solitude's not bad if you're sopped up in the presence of God. Yeah. Wilderness isn't bad if God's with you in the wilderness. There's times I wish I, oh yes, and sometimes you just got to do it, that you just want to shut everything else down. That the voice of this world that keep gnawing at us and clawing at us. I'm telling you, our lives have got to get to the place. There's times you need to understand that we've got to get alone with God. And it's got to be us and God so he can prepare us for the time that's coming. Because while God is preparing you, the devil's writing your plan, all right? While God is preparing you, the devil's got time. He's been watching him for 30 years. He's been observing him. And now he's in the desert alone. I got my eyes opportunity but you're gonna wait 40 days devil all right and he'll come when Jesus is hungry at his weakest moment but I'm telling you that old accuser he's got his time he's got his plan I mean think about it God's in the flesh God's on the planet God is now accessible to the enemy what are you going to tempt him with how are you going to hit him how are you going to approach him when are you going to do it what kind of plan are you going to make when you're going to execute it he doesn't leave it to another cohort the devil himself will take this one on. The prince of the world, the prince and power of the air will take everybody in the kingdom and say, step aside, he's mine. I'm going to do this one. I'm going to take him on head to head. I knew him when he was in glory. I was with him there. I know who he is. He is the son of the living God. I know him better than any of you. I know his power better than any of you. And I'll design the plan for him. The devil is designing our challenge, but God will direct our steps. He's planning the attack, but it's all right. When he comes, we're going to be ready. So here he comes to the wilderness. And here is Jesus went through this 40 days, and now at the end, he's hungry. And when the tempter came to him, He'll come, he will. I don't know how exactly this happens. My opinion is, is he came visibly. Jesus knows who he is. He's seen him before. He made him. He knew him before he fell. <laughs> He's the one who put him out of heaven anyway. <laughs> he said, I beheld Satan. As lightning falleth from heaven. He knows that rascal. He knows everything about him. 
But he's facing him now on territory and on turf that he's never before had to deal with him. When he's dealt with him as God, it was in supreme sovereignty. Put him out, throw him out. He must submit. Come on, you devil, you come. You got you to give account to him. But now, now he's in the wilderness. The devil has made this world a wilderness. He's the one that made it a wilderness. He's the one that brought it that solitary feeling. When God created it, he didn't create it a wilderness. He created a garden. He created a place of beauty, but sin has made the world a wilderness. Woo! I'm glad God still brings streams out in the desert. I'm sure God, he can still make rain to fall on dry ground. He can still grow flowers in the place where it looks like there's no life. He can bring life. The devil's made a wilderness, but God shed blood that can bring forth fruit. Hallelujah. And that the king of glory, he's going to meet the devil on his own turn. Personally, this is a personal fight between the prince of the world of evil, the head of the world of evil, and the head of the human race, and the head of all creation, Jesus Christ. How much thought has been put into this moment, I cannot imagine, to design. And now the time has come. And the devil now meets him. And he begins. I'm just going to put it in common every day. If you are the son of God... King James Version says command, but it's literally, it's only translated that command a few times. Most of the time it's translated speak, say. He literally says, if you're the son of God, speak so that these stones will become bread. See, that's going to become an appeal to his divinity. God spoke. He said, let there be light. And there was light. He said, let the earth bring forth fruit. He said, let there be an expanse, a firmament between and separate the waters above from the waters beneath. God spoke and things take place. God, it's not, it is, can have the sense of a command. And it does have that, but it's the sheer dictates of his voice. He verbalizes his will. He simply brings into our hearing what has been decided in his own mind and in the dictates of his own heart. His own heart decides and the decision in his will. He doesn't have to speak. By the sheer dictates of God's will, it will be done. But by speaking it puts a, a visibility to it. It brings it into the tangible world. It brings it into the world uh, that you and I live in uh, and makes it a part uh, of who we are and we see where it's coming from. Uh, it's not just all of a sudden it appears uh, and we're not sure how it got there. When you hear the voice of God uh, and it takes place, you know what made it happen. You know what drove it. You know what created it. You know what brought it to be. So this is the proposition of the devil. And it begins, if thou be the son of God. 
three things quickly he's going to appeal to. The first thing he's going to appeal to is this sense of is to self-exaltation. He, the devil knows who he is. You read later, you can read about the devil who comes and takes the seed. The son of God is the sower. And you, you will find out that the devil comes and tells you. You will read about how the devils will cry out and say, we know who you are, the Holy One, the Son of God. The devil knows who he is. But what he doesn't know is that if in Jesus there is any insecurity, does he know how to handle himself as God in the flesh? The term son of God is a term that is applied to his deity. That, that becomes the more, the greater connection. This is actually what we have looked for from the beginning. The promise to Eve will be there will come one from the seed of the woman. A son will come. That will be the promise to Isaiah. Unto you a child, a son will be given, he said, and will come forth. That will be the promise that will be to the world. He will talk about it in the second Psalm. And said that he said, I will declare the decree. And he said, the Lord has said unto me, this day have I begotten me. Thou art my son this day have I begotten thee ask me and I'll give you the heathen for your inheritance and the last verse will say kiss the son lest he be angry this is what we've hoped for this is what we've looked for we've been looking for the son we've been looking for the one who will come to humanity one who will be born a man when will be the one that will open up the womb of the woman and come and walk in human flesh and do the work of redemption that God has said. Finally, the great promise will be made public in a way that it's never been made public just a little bit before this a month and a half or so 40 days as he was there at the Jordan River and now the voice comes from heaven and says this is my son Woo! he's finally here this is my son and no longer it's not just the testimony of Mary it's not just the testimony of Joseph it's not just the testimony of Gabriel now the father himself speaks from heaven this is my son. This is who you've waited for. This is the one that I've come to send. This is the answer to your prayer. This is the hope of mankind. This is the savior of the world. Unto you is born a savior. The son of God is here to do his work. Who are you? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Who is he, John? Oh, no man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten, the Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Yeah. All the way through, this has been our hope. And the enemy says now, if that's who you really are. How many have heard the voice? We have become a world, or we have, be, our, our culture in our world is sick with it to a state of absolute, it's pathetic. 
Vanity is at an all-time high. We live in a vain culture. Vain. Everybody wants their place, their, their hunk of the pie, and their stardom, their award, their recognition. We, we, the, the shows we have today didn't even exist when I was, I mean, American Idol. What does that say? I mean, we absolutely call them an idol. And they get on stage and perform. You know how many wannabes have got on that stage and it was on that show that they became actual stars. Some floated off to oblivion somewhere. Others, grab that, my friend. Don't step on. Others have, have, have just been, been lifted to stardom by that program. But we are absolutely consumed with the need for affirmation. Isn't it interesting that the more vain we become, the more insecure we become? You know why? I'll tell you why. It's this thing. Because in your vanity, you are setting yourself up to be a God. Your own God. You are putting yourself in a place of worship so that you can receive worship and that you are going to be your own God. You chart your own course. You dictate your own steps. You be your own guide. You be your own director. You be your own pastor, shepherd, head. All of that is now yours. You are the one who is in the driver's seat and you've got it all under control. You're going to have a big problem because you know what? That's a big job to feel. Those are big shoes if I can put it that way when you start trying to feel God's shoes buddy you've got more than you can tackle you've taken on more than you can carry because I'll tell you you'll find out you're not going to be able to be everything to you that you need you're not going to be able to provide your own self with all the wisdom you need you'll find out you thought you had it down pat and you got self where you want him and all of a sudden the whole world falls apart the ground shakes under your feet and your world comes crumbling down. The house of cards fall. Why? Because you weren't meant to be God. You can't feel the shoes. And when you try to feel the shoes in your act of vanity, it will bring you to the place of insecurity. So he appeals to this in Jesus. Well, if you're the son of God, then you, you need to affirm it. You need to confirm. You need to exalt that. You need to step out. Exercise your divine power. Speak and turn the stone into bread. Now let's just bring it home to us for a moment. How secure are you in who you are and where you are and what you are? If you are put in the place of utter loneliness, you haven't seen a human face in 40 days. You might begin to question, am I really me? Isn't that how the devil comes to assault us? 
you're not really, if you're really filled with the Holy Ghost, why don't you feel more powerful? If you're really a man of God, why aren't you changing the world? Hello? Yeah. He is appealing to your sense of security. Am I truly secure with my own personal identity in God so that I don't have to announce it? I don't need someone to come along and affirm it. I don't need a letter of commendation. I don't have to have someone come and stand beside me and be able to announce me or present me to the world and be my promoter. No, sir. I'll just wait. If God gets me out of this wilderness, he'll get me out. If not, I'll just die right here. He brought me here. He'll take care of me. I am not here to exercise my divine will at my prerogative. I am here as man, and man doesn't live by bread alone, but he lives by the word of God and not by the word of devils. He doesn't move when the devil says move. He moves when God says move. It matters not what men think of me. Can you endure rejection, misunderstanding, utter solitude? Can you endure being put in a place where no one understands you and everything seems to be called into question? God is on the planet. What in the world is he doing in the wilderness? Where's his bed? Where's his satin pillow? Where's his robe of silk? Where's his fine shoes? Where's his crown of gold? Where's his throne to sit upon? Where is his scepter to stretch out? This is the king of glory we're talking about. And he's in a place in a desert. He's living with jackals. He doesn't have a bed. He doesn't have a pillar. He doesn't have a robe. He doesn't have anything that speaks of royalty. He has been put in a place of poverty. But it's all right. God put him there. You can be secure in your marriage if you know God put you there. You can be secure in this church if you know God put you there. You can be secure in who you are if you know God made you. You can be secure and maybe you don't have the ability that everybody else does. But if you recognize you've got what God give you and you reckon that he knew better than you did. Yes, sir. We all spend our life fretting about what we do not have. When we ought to just be grateful to know that God has led us to where we are. And he didn't bring us here to die. He didn't bring us here to fall. He didn't bring Israel to the wilderness to leave them. He brought them out there to train them and teach them. And Jesus, you're in training, but he proves he's already got it down pat. I don't have to prove my sonship. Because I am who I say I am. And whether or not you believe it, it makes no difference to me. Now, let me say to you something here. That... 
This is indeed a de- uh, an appeal to his deity. And that is an aspect of this being, this Christ, this man, God-man. Again, the devil knows full well who he is. He is under no delusion as to the one he's talking to. The devils knew him. Yeah, they knew him. Why would he suggest turning the stone to bread? If the devil suggested that to me, I could laugh at him. Yeah, why would I laugh at him? Because my word can't turn stones to bread. (laughs) I could speak that one until I growed, ran out of breath. And they had to come and pop my eyelids down on my eyeballs. And it wouldn't change one iota. No, sir. My breath would grow stale. My lungs would deflate before and nothing would happen. The reason he could say that to Jesus is because he has that kind of power. He can speak and the stone will be turned to bread. This is not an impossibility. It's a possibility. The devil will never appeal to you with something that's impossible. He will never appeal to you with something that's unreachable. He will always appeal to you with something that would be normal and natural in your realm something that's a possibility that you can lay hold of I'm telling you he didn't have to come and talk to me about stones to bread but he might say hey how about you have you you can preach this message or you can say this if you turn a little bit here you can gain more people if you're really a man of God why don't you do this and why don't you do that no somewhere we've got to be content if you don't do any more but win one man and save your house then you will do what God says to do if Christ would obey the devil then he would have used his divinity to glorify his humanity That's a reversal of order. We use our humanity to glorify divinity. This would make the human more important than the divine. Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. I'm going to stay in order. I am man. And I don't live. by bread alone. Secondly, to close. It's an appeal to self-fulfillment. Again, Satan is appealing to him to utilize his deity, his divine power. Men can't turn stones to bread. You got that? Everybody knows that, right? There's only one in this universe who can make a stone a piece of bread, and that's God. That's it. And so, but what would happen with this His body at the moment wants bread. They say the stones in the desert were smooth and round. Or maybe a little oblong even, so that they actually looked like little loaves of bread. You ever go on a fast? Get to the place you can eat the hinges off a refrigerator. And I'm telling you a piece of grub that you wouldn't ordinarily give the time of day all of a sudden is a delicacy. Yeah. Jesus is hungry. His flesh 
would love nothing more than just a piece of bread right now. But if he would use his divine power to satisfy the human need. Remember, this is all happening within the person of Jesus Christ. He is one person with two natures. It's a complicated thing. It's complex. It's glorious. It's wonderful. But there is an appeal that there is something within his reach. There's something he can do to alleviate the situation independent of Father and Spirit. He can take his divine power and use it to satisfy a human need. But he refuses to do it. Why? Because Christ will never make flesh more important than spirit. Oh, glory to God. I'm going to tell you right now, let the body die. Let the worms eat it. Let it, just let it fall apart. It is never to be exalted above the spiritual aspect of man. Jesus will know the divine need the divine prerogative the divine purpose is greater than the human the human flesh can die and the world will go on but if divinity ceases everything falls apart the spiritual must always be placed on a higher level than the physical Woo, glory to God You be careful where you're at right now. You be careful of your choices right now. Don't you ever neglect your spiritual to feed the physical. Don't you ever do that. See, Christ is, again, two natures, one person. I have but one nature. So in me, I'm not able to exercise some divine power to satisfy me what it looks like in me is I must forego the divine in order to satisfy the human I have to push back the divinity in order to give the physical priority. Oh, it must not be done. There's times you just have to sit and say, no, sir, right now we got to pray. Right now we got to push. Right now we got to read. Right now we got to go to church. Right now we're going to sing. Let me tell you, if you just hold on there, flesh, maybe in a little while I'll give you a bed to lay on. Maybe in a little while I'll give you a little bit of rest. But right now is not your moment. Right now there's a higher priority. The devil wants you to appeal so that you satisfy things. Looking only at it from a physical level. Looking only at it from an economical perspective. No, sir. Our highest priority is the spirit that lives and dwells. The eternal aspect of our own being. Glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> most important need in America right now is a revitalized church. The greatest need is not the rise of the Republican Party. 
The greatest need is not the increase of conservatism. The greatest need is not a free press. The greatest need is not a reversal of Roe versus Wade. The greatest need in America is that fire would fall again on an altar and somewhere the church would lay itself afresh on the altar and say, Lord, let the fire fall. Revive us again. Revive us again. Revive us again. Fill each heart with your love and let us be driven by the Spirit of God. 